Good evening. This is episode 16 called The White Tiger and Video Game Levels. So the white tiger, this particular white tiger, was named Mohini. And uh, it's a pretty common story. I don't know if you've heard it, but I heard it for the first time a few years ago. And I can't get it out of my head. It just really resonated with me. So Mahini the white tiger um, was a tiger in the Washington, D.C. zoo years ago. I don't know which year. Um, but while they were doing construction on the zoo, they built Mohini a 12 by 12 cage um, to, um, to keep Mohini in as they were building the larger habitat. Um, and the construction took some time. So Mohini was in the 12 by 12 cage for quite a while and would spend the entire day pacing in a 12 by 12 square, just up along one side, down the other, in a square over and over and over. Um, and finally, they finished the construction on the um, the habitat that they'd constructed for Mahini, and it had rocks and water and trees, this big, like, beautiful exhibit that a tiger should love. Um, and they were really excited to put Mohini in there um, so that they could go explore so that Mahini could go explore and they finally did and Mahini found a corner of the habitat and paced a 12 by 12 square over and over just paced that 12 by 12 square in the corner of this habitat never explored never ventured off of that path it had become so ingrained in Mahini's brain that that is like that's the only way you can walk just did that 12 by 12 square over and over um totally missed out on the rest of the habitat um until the day that Mohini died so sad story yes um but a lot to learn from it too um I've I've read different articles and um blogs and people reflecting on this story and using it in different ways um to talk about how we get locked into patterns and don't think outside the box and stick to our routines. Uh, so there's many interpretations that can be taken from it. I'm taking the angle of how we limit ourselves by our past habits, thoughts, or traits, and that creates an imaginary cage for us where there isn't really anything holding us in except for our own beliefs. Okay, before I get into it, um, I just want to add that I came up with this episode as I was proctoring CMAS, which is the Colorado Measure of Academic Standards, um, something that we teachers get to look forward to every April. Um, so it's a it's a state standardized test, and students have to be completely silent. It's hours long, and active proctoring is the one thing that you are allowed to do um, as a teacher during that time, which means you're walking around checking um, that students are staying on task and not trying to cheat. So literally, I was pacing laps around the classroom for hours during this test as I was thinking of this episode. So just a fun little tie-in. All right, so getting into it, um, that idea of holding ourselves back in that imaginary cage of our own beliefs based on the past. These could be things we learned to do or ways we learned to think that worked for us at one point. Maybe we didn't know better. Maybe those things kept us out of trouble at some point in the past. They served some purpose 
Maybe we just picked up or developed bad habits somewhere along the way. It could come from thought habits that we developed in the family we grew up in, influential friendships, school, church, things like don't offend anyone, wait for permission, treat others' opinions about what's worthwhile in terms of time, money, or what's interesting as more valid than your own, needing other people's approval or permission to feel good about your choices, beliefs like that that maybe at one point served a purpose, but no longer do. Those are some things that came to mind for me. If you're not sure what these things are for you, look back at the decisions you've made over the last 24 hours or the last year. What values or commitments do your decisions show, even if you wouldn't consciously claim to agree with them? What habits or thought patterns do you tend to follow, even if you don't mean to? It's beneficial to inventory these because sometimes the cages we build and lock ourselves into are unintentional. If it's an idea that you've created and reinforced with yourself and isn't necessarily true or helpful, then it might be worth deconstructing. And I say deconstructing instead of stopping or removing because it's not going to go away all at once. Whatever that thought process is, it was constructed over time. The pattern was practiced and memorized over time. To deconstruct it takes some intentional and determined effort too. What if the tiger were able to walk just a few steps further each day, broke the old habit a little at a time, walked a 13 by 13 square, a 14 by 14 square, slowly worked their way out of the old habit. So think about what are we missing when we, we keep ourselves in the cage that we've created? What are we assuming is holding us back that's really not? Being worried about what people will think, being afraid to try something new, just being stuck in the idea that this is how we've always done it, so how could we possibly even do it differently? There's a quote by Emerson that I think really ties in. This is from um, his essay on self-reliance, which I highly recommend if you have not read it. Uh, But this is just a little excerpt. The other terror that scares us from self-trust is our consistency, a reverence for our past act or word, because the eyes of others have no other data for computing our orbit than our past acts, and we are loath to disappoint them. But why should you keep your head over your shoulder? Why drag about this corpse of your memory, lest you contradict somewhat what you have stated in this or that public place? Suppose you should contradict yourself. What then? It seems to be a rule of wisdom never to rely on your memory alone, scarcely even in acts of pure memory, but to bring the past for judgment into the thousand-eyed present and live ever in a new day. We may need to create new sets of rules from time to time. As we encounter new things, what if there's a water feature in our new habitat? a boulder, a tree. Those old rules of behavior that we had before might have served us in a previous chapter of life, but don't anymore. Not only might they hold us back unnecessarily, but we need to make new, make room for new ones. It isn't that particular rules of conduct are good or bad, but that they serve or don't serve us well. They are useful or they get in our way. Without rules, we constantly have to 
relearn and redefine each thing that we encounter. We keep making the same mistake and don't create strategies to work around them. So those rules that we can create can be really useful. But again, it's all about making new ones, making the right ones, making the rules that help us get to our goal instead of holding us back. All right, we're going to branch out into another analogy here. I don't play video games, so bear with me and pardon my attempt to use this analogy. The first time you play a level in a video game, it takes some time for you to figure out how to work your way through that particular level. What bombs or hot lava to avoid, where the snipers or zombies are hiding, where to find the gold coins that you need to collect, or which door leads to where you're trying to go next. The next time you play that level and are trying to move through it quickly in order to get to the next one because you've already mastered it, that's not the time to wander around trying all the different things that didn't work last time. That's when you want to use the strategies, the rules that you created before to help you get through that level quickly, predictably, and without problems so that you can move on to the next level, explore new, new challenges, make new mistakes, and new progress. I'm going to read that again. That's when you want to use the strategies and rules you created before to help you get through that level quickly, predictably and without problems, so that you can move on to the next level, explore new challenges, make new mistakes, and new progress. In this way, making new rules about our circumstances is freeing and empowering in empowering much more than it is limiting. The guidelines we create are actually tools we discover and develop to refine and adjust our tactics so we don't wander around stuck on the same level forever. Rules sound boring and restrictive, but what if, at least some of them, are actually shortcuts that allow us to progress to the next level? Cheat codes, if you will. Had to Google that one. So contrasting these two examples, I think the lesson is that we need to inventory. The word inventory, incidentally, is only loosely related to the word invent, though it's interesting to think of this inventory as examining the roles you already have in your collection and deciding which ones to invent or reinvent for the first time. Anyway, we might benefit from taking an inventory of our personal roles periodically. Decide which ones are serving us. Providing shortcuts through previously learned lessons and promoting our growth. And which ones are trapping us in old patterns that are no longer relevant. Well, we could do so much more. Then, Marie Kondo style, practice removing the ones that do not spark joy. Thank them for their service because they did serve a purpose at one time. That's how they got there in the first place. And then begin letting them go. At the same time, practice embracing, internalizing, and owning those rules, those cheat codes, that allow us to pass through the places we've already explored through trial and error efficiently so that we can move on to the next level. Good luck. Good night.